the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Narve Alexandrian, who's with uh, Riv Capital, RIV Capital out of Toronto. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Really excited. Yeah. And so, you know, your uh, your background and your journey into uh, cannabis investment has been uh, you know, quite interesting. What what drove you to can- to uh, to investing in the industry and getting involved? Yeah, I mean, my, my background has been in M&A and venture capital for the most part. Um, started off as a CPA um, coming out of business school, did not like accounting whatsoever. So so went into consulting uh, for, for strategy uh, um, for, for large companies and then moved into M&A afterwards. Got the, the, the tech bug and jumped into the tech industry um, head on in 2011, uh, 2012, where I worked for startups that I moved into the largest government incubator for seed stage startups in Canada. I worked for the UN a little bit as well to, to launch their clean tech um, program. Sorry, that was Omer's or? No, and then and then I went to Omer's after okay. that. So it was Mars Innovation and then oh, it was right. the UN and then uh, Omer's Ventures after that. So Omer's, as you might know, is the lar- one of the largest pension funds in Canada, similar to CalPERS in, in, in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they they launched, they were the first to launch a direct venture capital uh, business. So through that, I was part of three funds. Um, our biggest and most prominent investment that we've made to date was Shopify going in at a, a very low valuation um, in, in, the, in the double digit uh, millions and then moving into, and then now it's worth 160, 180 billion. So um, uh, what was in technology for, give it about almost uh, 10 years uh, in do, doing venture type investments and then noticed um and then i was starting to get uh headhunted by canopy growth at the time and they were they had their own venture arm which was canopy rivers now known as riff capital and a, a lot of the similarities that i was seeing in the tech industry existed in the cannabis industry where it's a very high growth market nobody really knows how the thing's going to play out so everyone's making a, a, an educated guess in terms of where things are going to go you have uh, new players coming in every day you have new investors coming in every day and the, the, the big difference between tech and cannabis was that because of the stigma or maybe because of federal legalization in the U.S., you just weren't seeing the same amount of sophistication in terms of investors as you were seeing in the, in the uh, tech industry where you have 30, 40 years of uh, tech um, investment experience within that field. So it was a prime opportunity to jump in and couldn't be happier for, for where I am today. Yeah, and I often use the analogy, of, you know, I find that the cannabis industry is very similar to where... Uh, technology and the internet part of technology was around the year 2000. There is that level of immaturity, and I don't mean that to slag anybody, I just mean as far as the industry growth is, um, that is still present. And, you know, it's, the changes are coming and they'll come fast when they do hit. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think the one big difference I would say is that this is like before the internet was really in the hands of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I say that because Right now, we're looking at the U.S. market and we look at the East Coast and say, hey, look at the limited license markets. Look at New York, for example, or New Jersey, where there's only a handful of licenses out there. Now, because the, the, the piping just isn't there for anybody to build a brand off of it, like you can in California, it is a bit selective of who can join and, who, and it does require a lot of capital to play in those states. 
Um, over time, though, you're going to see what happened to Canada or California or Oregon or Colorado, where the cultivation piece itself is going to be so standardized. It's going to be so easily accessible um, that it, it, it's, it's just a commodity. And then it's going to be who can create that brand and who can teach the consumer. And I can go into depth about this for, for about an hour. Who can teach the consumer about what product is going to help them with what problem or symptom or feeling or whatever it is that they want without them going through this entire two-day process of understanding the entourage effect and terpenes mm-hmm. and, and, and percentage THC and, and, and so forth. So, you know, and, and, you know, with that, um, Riv Capital is invested across over a dozen firm uh, companies right now, ranging between, you know, um, hardware and software for the technology industry to production, processing, consumer products, you name it. Really, you've run pretty much the gamut of the industry as far as investments go. Why such a diverse uh, model versus focusing on one area or one part of the vertical that's really needs a lot of attention. So a couple of reasons, and, and, and to be to be quite uh, frank with it, we, we've since I joined the, the company in 2018, I took the president role in 20 early 2019, January 2019. My focus has been clearly on the U.S. plant touching business, and and I've seen friends and and companies and and companies that pitched to us back in 2019 built to be multi-billion dollar organizations. Mm-hmm. We had a difficulty into getting into the, the, the US market because um, at the time, Canopy growth through the multi-voting shares that it had in, in, in Canopy Rivers, now Riv Capital, yep. wouldn't allow it because of legalization issues and their ties to Constellations Exchange and bankers. Yep. So for, for about 18 months, we worked um, our butts off to clean up shop, unwind some of those deals and structures that were in play while working on a deal with Canopy growth that would allow us to go to the US. So in December, 2020, we got our wish. We finally had a deal that we could take to our shareholders where we sold the interest in three of our portfolio companies to Canopy Growth for um, about 380 million Canadian in consideration at the time of closing. Use the portion of that to buy out Canopy Growth, use another portion to pay off a liability that I inherited from my predecessors. And um, what ended up was uh, 220 million Canadian of cash, no control over us, and, and finally having access to the US market. And that's at that time, we were looking at a number of large uh, targets that we were going to pivot to, to becoming a plant-touching U.S. company. Mm-hmm. And then Scott's uh, miracle Grow came about. Uh, we, we had a good relationship with them for at least a year. Um, and we consummated a deal that we announced in August of 2021. So, And we closed this a month ago, where they invested $150 million U.S. or $200 million Canadian. Uh, through a convertible debt structure. Um, and uh, we are now incredibly cashed up and looking for U.S. targets to pivot to become an operating company. Oh, interesting. So you expect the the firm itself to become an operating company? Yeah. And that's not to say that we will never do venture type investments or minority investments again. I think right now our focus is on how do we create that platform where we can plug and play any um, future acquisitions or investments or even organic launches into this group of operators that are second to none. Um, and, and it's been, there's been, it's been easy in some sense. It's been incredibly hard in other senses, um, but, uh, but, but, but truly excited to, for the opportunity to finally touch the plant in the U S market. <laughs> yeah, no, it is very different. And uh, I mean, uh any of the for any of the markets are very unique in the opportunities they present but also the challenges that come and with the us being so fragmented it's that's both an opportunity and a myriad of 
challenges to navigate. Do you, you know, and with that, um, you know, U.S. regulatory momentum keeps lurching forward. You know, it's there's there's always progress. Where, how do you see that happening over, and evolving over the next eighteen months? I mean, right now the focus on, is on the infrastructure bill and all of the issues around the you know the debt ceiling and the like, which should be settled by the you know over the next couple of weeks. So by the time this airs, but attention usually swings back to the, the whole cannabis question. And do you see movement coming? I, I, I do, but, but I, I think it comes from different places. So uh, if you follow the media or, or what people speak about to, uh, on Twitter, everyone's focus is on what Schumer is going to do, what the safe bill, safe act is going to, going to do, yep. and when, when that's going to come into play. And I think all of these things are helpful. Um, they, they are catalysts into in uh, moving things towards federal legalization. That said, um, I, I wouldn't... Uh, um, ever bank my entire strategy on what politicians are going to do or or what's going to be enacted. I think that the single biggest catalyst that we're going to see in this market are more and more states signing up for medical and recreational or adult use regimes within their their, their states. That is what's going to move it. So um, if, if we go from the 34 states right now, medical and 11 recreational to um, 50 medical or 45 medical and 25 recreational, you're, you're, there's going to come a point in time where these states are going to knock on the federal doors and say, hey, we've legalized it. We've created these frameworks. Um, not saying we need to do interstate commerce tomorrow, but it would be helpful to get federal recognition for this because um, we're, we're, like everyone's following their, their own rules and their own game. And that there's going to come a time where it just doesn't make sense to not have it federally legal, but most of the states have some, something going on. So yeah, that, and, you that's know. what my focus has been on is what are what's happening on the state by state level? Absolutely, and I know you know I've talked about this with a number of people and done some work with different firms with regards to it because the whole compliance aspect of it, as that does become federalized, is going to be a quagmire for a lot of firms because states will have, be changing the regula- regulations to streamline and to align them all. And there's going to be an incredible amount of changes, but also when the FDA starts getting involved, truly involved, all those standards have to be put in place. And a lot of companies aren't ready for it. And I know I've, you know, I've dealt with a number and I'm sure, you you know, with your background, you're going to be very up to date on that, but there's going to be a lot of surprises for a lot of companies, unfortunately. Absolutely. And it it is something that we're always keeping top of mind whenever we, we do talk to um, targets. Um, and and that, that is to say that we have this exercise that we do when we're talking to, to acquisition targets where we just stress the heck out of their assumptions. So mm-hmm. we, we stress test and put them into scenarios where the, the price of cannabis per pound or per kilo um, wholesale or retail drops down to what you're seeing in California, or the amount of production space like um, is similar to what you see in Canada, where you need to be a dollar gram or cheaper in order to, to be able to, to even sell on a wholesale level. And we, we, we push the targets into these territories because, I mean, interstate commerce, I don't think will happen with federal legalization. I think there, that's another two, three, four years down the road from federal legalization. That said, um, we're, we're, not, we're not cashing out at legalization or anything like that. That's not my view. That's not anybody on, 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 on my side, their, their view. Our view is like how to create a 10 to 20 year business plan. Right. So when, when you, when you think about interstate commerce coming in, let's say even 10 years from now, 
And that, that's a whole lot of lobbying from existing companies to push it beyond federal legalization. Even in that case, like you have to be ready for it, right? So you have to be ready for how the, how the winds are going to change and how um, facilities in New York aren't going to last because Arizona's and, and, and Texas and Northern California are going to be where production is. And then packaging and processing might be somewhere else and it's going to show up on the shelves elsewhere. Um, so you have to be prepared for that. You, you, can't, you can't miss that. Absolutely. Um, and I want to continue on that uh, topic in just a moment, but we do have to take a short break for our sponsors. We'll be back in just one minute with Narbe Alexandrian from Riv Capital, and I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Dazed and Infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with uh, Narvi Alexandrian this week. And Narvi, just before the break, you were talking about, um, you know, that you don't believe interstate barriers will drop right away with federal legalization and the changeover. But of course, you know, and that, you know, California and Oregon and, you know, other warm, sunny warm clients that have good access to water are going to be producing at a much lower cost um, for distribution. Of course, then there's also the the foreign imports, which will come into the country. And CBD, of course, can already um, in isolate form, but other, other uh, cannabinoids will also be possible to be imported. And the cost of production in other markets is dramatically lower still. So you know, with regards to that, and this, you know, is for, you know, Canadian firms may have higher production costs, but have huge advantages in terms of experience. Do you think Canadian firms looking to enter the U.S. market and other firms from other jurisdictions looking to enter the U.S. market are advantaged or disadvantaged vis-a-vis the companies that have been operating in the States already for a few years? Um, yes and no. So what would they, so what, the, the way others look at it is that, hey, look at all the money in the Canadian companies, Canopy Growth, uh, Tillery, um, Afria, Kronos, look at all these, or, you know, the, and they have a bunch of cash, mm-hmm. billions of dollars on the sidelines waiting to get into the U.S. market. And the way the place I'll credit them is that they're already doing the homework to know where they're going to come in. So as soon as someone opens a door for them, they know exactly what they're going to buy from the store. That said, um, the the U.S. is never has never been shy for capital. So to think that capital is going to come from another country into the country makes zero sense to me because there is a tremendous amount of capital in the U.S. just waiting to get into this this deal, the, the, this segment. So the the place I I'll give credit to Canada is that the, the 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 LPs will be prepared to come in and prepared to make moves quickly, but in the medium term, which is like I'll give them two, three months beyond the time of whenever we can come in, there is going to be capital that seeps into the, the industry from a number of players, private, public, CPG, 
um, strategics, uh, et cetera, that, that's going to, that, that's going to take away from any competitive advantage that the Canadians have. Absolutely. What about the, you know, Mexico's seems to be racing ahead and how, you know, as you're getting involved in the U S market, are you concerned about those competitors? Um, no. Uh, and, and I don't, don't think that I will be concerned about it just because I, I do think that any country that wants to legalize will try to create some sort of an advantage for domestic companies for, to produce and sell mm -hmm. so that the jobs stay in their country and it doesn't go away. I think the globalization piece is a more of a long-term strategy. It might actually happen quicker in the medical markets and the recreational markets, um, but it's going to take some time for it to play out just because the, the countries are going to be protectionist. And like as a, even taking away from the economic benefits of it, like you want to, as, as a government, you want to slow things down when you're rolling out such, such, uh, such an important piece of legislation yep. and just see how the supply chain works. Where is where are the leakages? Are is the legacy or illicit market market still involved as much as it is? Um, how do you make sure that the the ones that are um, on the legal side don't trickle out and try to take advantage of the the legacy markets like you do like you see in California all the time? And these things take time and it takes time and it takes multiple regimes. So it's not something that's going to be fixed quickly. Uh, although everyone wants it to be. Yeah, everybody um, everybody wants it fixed yesterday. But I, you know, yeah. I do fundamentally agree with you. The I believe medical will open up for um, much more rapidly than uh, recreational for international and global trade. Um, that, that would be awesome, right? Like, who, who wouldn't want to see cannabis coming from Jamaica or Colombia or Mexico and, and branded as such? Um, there, there's like we see it in wine all the time. Um, mm -hmm. The same thing could happen in cannabis, right? Um, yeah. I'd love to see that. It's just I, I just I won't hold my breath on it because, as you know, um, these things don't happen radically these things happen incrementally and, and everyone right. has to get that in their head yeah i mean uh you know i built one of the firms down in colombia and we drove production costs down below seven cents but the problem was the colombian government didn't allow the exports which made yeah, it now they very do, right? difficult and then other countries made it almost impossible to import where it, you know started opening and then everybody backed off it's a very challenging situation but now you you know when you start focusing on the states and you did mention, you know, the blocks to interstate commerce, which you believe will exist. Are there particular states you're looking at getting involved in? Obviously, you know, there's all, all the activity in California, but everybody goes there. Where, where do you look? Yeah, so our, our focus has been on the, um, in the short term, it'll be on the East Coast, where there's limited license states. So you have the ability to go into a very highly populous um, geography, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Ohio, Maryland, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Michigan, Florida. Um, and I know it's a long laundry list, but like we've done a lot of work to pick those states and, and get in early, get one of the, the limited licenses that are there, show up in front of the consumer and just hammer home loyalty um, and focus on that more so than any financial metric or financial fundamental that the public markets would, would want to go for. And I say that because I, I do think and this is one of our strategies is that we, we want to create what well, we see ourselves developing an MSO, but in other ways, we want to create what we call the anti-MSO. And that, that's a focus on companies and operations that are extremely consumer obsessed and not as much as on return on invested capital and what can I do for my shareholders uh, right. tonight. Um, and and, and, and that, that, that goes a long way because right now, the consumer itself, themselves, like in, in these limited license states particularly, 
have no clue what the difference is between the different strains. And it takes um, days of research of understanding the terpene profiles and the entourage effect and the difference between indica and sativa and hybrids and um, the different brands to really understand what it is you're actually buying. And um, there, there are companies, and we've seen brands in the West Coast that do this very well, that get ahead of that and say, screw all that stuff. Let me just tell you what, what this is for. This is for sleep. This is for creativity. This is for, um, this is for calming down and watching Netflix. These are the things it's for. Don't worry about what's behind it. We're just going to give you that experience over and over and over again. Forget about everything else. Yeah, which is quite honestly what the consumer wants. They want they want a an outcome, not to worry about. You know, they're not worried about the the journey. In, in many ways, they're looking at the outcome. Totally. And then there's friction, right? You want to take away the friction. So mm-hmm. for those that think, hey, now my package has 10 different terpenes on them and they all have these Latin scientific words to them, you're, you're not going to get people to educate themselves on it. Like this is just one of many purchases someone makes in a day. And, I, and I'm taking away the cannabis connoisseurs here because they will care just like people. That's a different market, right? that are, Exactly. Than the, than the mass market. So. Totally. And there's people that are really deep into wine and they know exactly where the wine comes from, the year that comes from the vintage and, and can actually extrapolate and say, is this a good bottle or not before even opening it? Mm-hmm. And there's a niche for that, but the mass market doesn't care about that. Wine is wine. Cannabis is cannabis. What can it do for me? Well, exactly. You know, and uh, that's, that's very true. I mean, people get to become accustomed with wine to particular grapes and styles they like, but, you know, and quite honestly, as long as you enjoy it, it's all that matters. And, you know, with cannabis, it's really a question of from the medical side, does it give you the benefit you're looking for? And for recreational, it's a different question. Um, but, you know, you mentioned a bunch of the, uh, the states you're looking at, some are very vertical and have that requirement. Some you're allowed to participate in uh, whichever parts you want to. How are you, how are you filtering through those choices? Because as you build a brand, that's, that's going to be critical. Yeah. I mean, right now, I think one of the things that's lacking is this stable, consistent cultivation, processing, packaging of a product. So until that exists and you can, um, you can use service level agreements to, uh, contract out what you're doing to another party. And you see this in California and they can do it in California. It just doesn't make sense to give your brand to someone else just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, the, all the states that I mentioned, the, the strategy we have is just vertical integration. Let's own the cultivation, processing, packaging, and retail side of things. And um, over time, it's, it's the brands that are going to win. So over time, once we see that uh, the, the standardization of production is what we want to see it at. And, and you see this in tobacco, where if you grow um, a, the, the plant in South Africa or the US or China, a, Marl, a pack of Marlboros tastes like a pack of Marlboros wherever you go. We haven't right. seen that in cannabis yet. The, the genetics aren't there yet. The breeding just isn't there yet. It is still more of an art than a science, particularly because it is federally legal and you can't do the amount of R&D that you want to. The Canadians are, are getting close to it. That, so, so until you get there, you have to own the entire value chain. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's a challenge, right? And it's if you don't control that as far as your brand goes, your brand's going to go down pretty quickly. Um, Narbe, we'd have to take one more break, and uh, we'll be back on The Green Peak in just a minute. I'm Richard Zwicky. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. 
elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success, Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with Narbe Alexandria. And Narbe, you know, one of the things we... Uh, you, you touched on earlier and, you know, with the, the focus you've got right now on finding the right opportunity in the U.S., um, one of the companies that's likely to be a partner is a company that just uh, gave you a big voice of support by investing uh, with you, uh, which would be Scott's, um, Scott's miracle Grow. Tell me a bit about how you see them uh, aligning with you through this next phase. Yeah, so so as I mentioned before, they they, they gave us uh, 150 million US um, in, in a convertible debt uh, from the Hawthorne Collective, which is a subsidiary of Scott's Miracle Grow. Um, so I, I think that the, the transaction um, leveraged what we have in terms of domain expertise in cannabis, as well as investment expertise with Scott Miracle Grow's expertise in ops, R and D, sales and distribution. Um, so our strategy remains the same as we previously disclosed, which is we want to acquire, invest in, launch, and develop U.S. assets to, to become an MSO uh, and a brand platform. But we get to utilize um, their their experience in cannabis as well. They've had six years of experience as a key ancillary provider in the U.S. cannabis market through the, the Hawthorne Gardening Company. Right. And they've they've become the largest cannabis-focused company in the world on a revenue basis. I think they have about $1.3 of run rate revenue there. So linking up with them um, and, and their relationships with operators, brands, and cellular providers with our plans to touch the plant and, and do things that they cannot do, it's not in their purview to do it, I think makes for a, a fantastic relationship. On top of that, I think that the deal itself that we, we provided, we presented to our shareholders and the public through that convertible debt structure is not talked about enough. And I think it was, it was one of the, the best deals that you, we've, I've seen in the cannabis industry ever. No, it's a, I mean, it's a fantastic partner to bring to the table and, you know, in your, in your hopes, who would be another partner you'd bring to the table that would really have a strong position in the U S and be able to help you with along the way? Um, I think it's a good question. I haven't really thought through that. I, I, I don't find the need to have anybody else at, at the table. I think, I think once you, there's a lot of opportunities and, and I've, we've kind of seen this in our past with some of the strategic relationships that we've had uh, in the past that we inherited um, that uh, too, too many people in the kitchen, too many chefs in the kitchen, isn't actually a great thing. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to, and, and everyone has their own views of what that market looks like and going to the beginning at full circle. This is a, this is a fast growing industry and you have to make a hypothesis around it and you have to get everyone at the table to agree on that. So the more parties you bring in, more strategics you bring in, the, the tougher it gets. That said, um, and I don't want to cop out of your answer. I think one of the areas <laughs> I'm not where, expecting you to disclose. I mean, it's more of that type. <laughs> I, I think one of the areas that I'm pretty bullish on that doesn't exist right now to the, the extent that we want to see the will is around the pharmaceutical side. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the pharma market is destined to be displaced uh, by, by cannabis. 
you see it already anecdotally. Um, you're seeing a, a ton of clinical research being done as well. Um, I think it's estimated that $20 billion of uh, uh, cannibalization will exist for the cannabis market going after the, the pharma market um, initially. And we already know that some of the largest patent holders of cannabis uh, uh, patents are the large pharmaceutical companies. So once we get through this CPG phase here that we're at, where we want to go after the recreational market, the focus is going to be on the, the medical market and how we can create drugs. And I say we as in not just what we're looking at in the long term, it's but the what many other companies will be as well. And then after that, it's maturity. So everyone, um, it's four, four companies will, will dominate the market and a lot of consolidation would have happened already. And then these four companies will just sue each other for whatever they own. Well, yeah, no, that's one, that's one possible scenario. I definitely, I don't know if the, I'd agree with you that the pharmaceuticals will get displaced rather that they'll really move in heavily to the industry as it becomes economically viable for them to do so. And with the heft they have, they would really, um, you know, displace most of the firms that are there, acquire a few that really become dominant. Um, and I think the CPG companies are, you know, going to have their own challenges and going to be more on the, you know, the recreational side, whereas the pharmaceuticals, they have so much developed so heavily. Yes. So I, I agree with you there. Maybe I wasn't clear. I think the drugs will be displaced, but mm -hmm. the companies that create these drugs will remain the same. Okay. Okay, good. I was, uh, because that's pretty, it's going to be a, take a lot to knock over Pfizer. Yes, absolutely. And they, they will never let that happen either. No, no, they won't. So, um, Narbi, unfortunately, we're at the end of our time for today. Um, but this has been a really interesting, interesting discussion. For companies that really want, and people want to learn more about uh, Riv Capital, it's rivcapital.com is the website. Yep. yep. And my, my email is always open. I'm not shy to share it, narbi at rivcapital.com. So if anybody has a business that they want to talk through a uh, license that they have or anything of that sort, I'm, 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 I try to make time as much as possible for everyone, whether or not they, they fall into our investment thesis or not. I, I think this industry needs more uh, handholding. It, it certainly does. A lot of people need a ton of advice. So I agree with you there. Narby, thank you so much for joining us on the Green Peak this week. And thank you to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky and we'll talk again soon. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.